the Lord. Amen. Oh, that is so cool. Man, yeah. Lifting praises for the Lord. So many ways to do it, and we should do it that way. Amen? Give our best to Jesus. He certainly deserves it. Well, my friends, uh, I do want to uh, give a formal warning that um, there will be some uh, videos that I will be showing during this second half that uh, might be a little disturbing to some people. I certainly do not play these videos, and I'm not going to play the entire video, but I will be playing some snippets of these videos just to kind of give you an idea of uh, where I came from in the background that I, uh, that, that the, 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 the group of people and the uh, particular faith that I grew up in. And then we're going to focus our attention in the Bible for the better half of this presentation to look to see what the Bible teaches in reference to this, this manifestation of the Spirit of God and, of course, this special gift mentioned in the Bible of the gift of tongues. And I will give you my story in relation to that tonight. Now, if any of these videos um, anyone finds to be uh, offensive or perhaps maybe you, you, you may just not like them for some reason, uh, again, it's not my way of trying to offend you or hurt anyone's feelings or make fun, but rather just to give kind of an accurate presentation as to the realness of this stuff that is going on, and I will say this, my friends, not just in the outside churches or the outside world, but it is starting to manifest itself within the Seventh-day Adventist church. And some of you say, what? It is? It is indeed. And I, and I will uh, talk a little bit more about that in just a little while. So uh, you, 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 I, you will not offend me if you feel you need to turn your head or plug your ears, but uh, to me they're not that bad because I understand it. I grew up in it and I understand the truth behind it. But uh, we certainly aren't going to play a lengthy portion of these uh, so that uh, we don't uh, uh, take up too much time with that. But that being said, I've entitled this Strange Fire and Strange Fire for a Reason. And so, uh, before we go into this presentation, we certainly need to seek the Lord in prayer. So, if you would, my friends, just reverently bow your heads as we go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, such a message as this is, uh, is very, very important for us to comprehend in these last days. Lord, I believe that one of the greatest deceptions that the devil is manifesting today among the churches and among many people is this misunderstanding of the gift of tongues and the manifestation of the true Spirit of God. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you will empower me with the Holy Spirit, the real Holy Spirit, and that you will give me the words to speak and you will put the thoughts into my mind, Lord, that you want me to think in the, in the, in the right way of bringing this out so that, yes, this message is preached with boldness and with power, but also love and compassion the way that Jesus would present it. So Lord, I pray that you will come into all of us, that you will give us spiritual discernment at this moment, that you will open our eyes and our ears to this great truth so that we can uh, armor ourselves, Lord, with the spirit of truth, with the word, uh, the sword of the word, Lord, that we can beat off the deceptions of the devil and stake our faith in the truth of God's word. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You might say, Ryan, where did you get such a title? Uh, there is another minister in the church who has a similar title to one of his presentations. Many of us might be aware, or some of us might be aware of uh, Dr. Walter Veith. Uh, he'd done a series a few years back 
uh, entitled Total Onslaught. And within this particular series, he has, uh, he has a, a um, presentation entitled Strange Fire. Well, I, didn't, I actually did not steal this title from him. I actually pulled my title from the Bible, which I believe he did as well. Uh, the idea of Strange Fire comes from a particular short but very powerful Bible story that we can learn from. And I would like to just kind of give a background of the story because the story of Strange Fire in the Bible deals with the two sons of Aaron. Now, if you know who Aaron is, Aaron is the brother of Moses in the Bible. Aaron was basically anointed and called forth as the very first high priest of the Levitical priesthood. And of course, uh, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, which is mentioned in the Bible, uh, they were also called to work among and be a part of this great priesthood as mentioned in the Bible. So they were called to do a very high, uh, sophisticated, and a very sanctified work from within God's people. Anything that is in association with the sanctuary of God is very, very much important because that is within, it's found within the sanctuary uh, that we find the very plan of salvation and the very work of God manifested very clearly in a clear plan uh, laid out there in the sanctuary. And so it's very interesting that the Bible tells us of an interesting story where the sons of Aaron, who were again among the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, uh, the sons of Aaron decided one day that um, they wanted to give their own version of worship to God. Now, before I go into the story, I want to make it very, very clear, okay? I'm giving my story, I'm giving my uh, a testimony as to where I come from, what I've experienced, and what I know, and what the Lord has showed me very clearly from His Word. And I want to make this very clear. As we have said from the beginning, this is a Bible prophecy seminar. And so this carries over into this teaching tonight. This is a Bible Topic. So we're going to see what the Bible has to say about this great topic of speaking in tongues and this manifestation of the Spirit. But I want to be very clear on something. When we're considering uh, what the Bible says about this, we also need to consider very clearly that uh, a lot of times when we start worshiping or we're putting ourselves in the right mindset to worship or extend worship to God, we need to consider very clearly that in the Bible, God gives us a very specified plan and very specific instructions as to how to worship or how not to worship, okay? Especially in relation to his sanctuary and his tabernacle or his work from within the sanctuary. He takes it very, very serious, okay? There is a right way to worship God. There is also a wrong way to worship God. And you say, well, Ryan, I, I believe that we can worship God just any old way that we want to. If we just feel led to worship God in any way we want, I believe God accepts that. Well, that's not entirely true because we find many examples in the Bible where someone thought it upon themselves to bring their own made-up or thought-up version of worship or offering to the Lord, and the Lord refused it. perfect example would be right there in the book of Genesis. Remember, God required a specific form of worship from the brothers Cain and Abel. You remember this story? You say, well, Ryan, they were just giving an offering. Offering is a part of worship. And God was very specific about what this offering should be and how it should be given. And uh, Cain decided in and of himself that he was going to bring about his own offering, his own type of worship, with the thought that I can do what I want and give from my heart however which way I want, and the Lord will accept it. But did the Lord accept it? 
we know very clearly the Lord turned it away. He said it was not what he asked. He was being disobedient in response to that worship, that particular worship, that particular offering. Well, there's no difference when you get into the story of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. We find very clearly that the Bible tells us that they decide one day, and, and by the way, it's very interesting to note that these gentlemen would have known. They would have been made very, very clear the plan that God had set before. Because when you read the book of Leviticus, very clearly God lays out a very detailed, specific way as to what they were to do, how they were to offer worship from within the sanctuary. But again, like many people today do, they think that they can just come in the church or outside of the church and offer just any old kind of worship that just so best fits their heart and their mind and their idea of worship, and they think that God is just going to accept it because, well, it's just from them, and they're doing it from the heart. Well, Nadab and Abihu had the same idea. They had the same concept. They thought that they were going to bring in their own form of worship, and it cost them dearly. In fact, the Bible says very clear in Leviticus chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered, notice, strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. You say, well, Ryan... You're telling me that I can only worship in the way that God has commanded me? That's exactly right. There's a particular way that we are to worship. There's a particular manner. We should do it in in an organized fashion. We should do it according to the specifications as given to the Bible. So this idea of just, oh, just coming in and just however which way I feel to offer worship to the Lord, well, that's what I'm going to give. Well, be very careful, my friends, because God takes this very serious. Very, very serious. Now, I want you to notice it says that they offered strange fire before the Lord. Now, what we're getting into very clearly is when you do a study of fire across the Bible, you will notate very clearly that fire represents a type of cleansing. It's a cleansing agent. Jesus in the beginning, or the Bible clearly states that the Holy Spirit was given as fire, as symbolic spiritual fire. That is, the Holy Spirit wants to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit wants to cleanse us of our sin. He has come to guide us and to lead us in the ways of Jesus so that we might be sanctified, that is set apart, from our sins. And the Bible makes it very clear that in this is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or, or as, as we see very clearly, uh, the, 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 you know, the, it's likened, the Holy Spirit's work is likened unto fire. That's as we're going to see in just a few moments on the day of Pentecost. When the, when the disciples were in the upper room and they began to speak in tongues, it says cloven tongues as of fire set upon them, referencing symbolically to the work of the Holy Spirit. A cleansing spiritual fire that is to purge us or cleanse us from our sins, but in an appropriate manner as to how God dictated it should be from the Word. So notate very clearly from the Scripture here, did they bring in the fire of the true Holy Spirit? No, there was a counterfeit fire that was presented before the Lord. And it even goes on to say, which God commanded them not. And verse 2 plainly says, And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Is this serious, my friends? 
You know, there, there may be someone in this room right now that's saying, well, Ryan, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I, I, when I offer fire or I offer worship to God, I offer it the correct way. Well, how are we to know if we're offering it the correct way? The Bible says if they speak not according to this word, there's no line in them. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we have been given clearly the word of God to show us how we are to worship and bring that into the Lord. So the Bible makes it very clear that when they offered their own form of strange fire or their own form of strange worship, God was not acceptable of this. And in fact, it cost them their lives. Now, some people take this very literal in the sense that they think, well, if I go into the sanctuary and I offer my own form of worship and I'm not consumed by fire or I don't die, well, then it must be acceptable to God. Not necessarily. You see, in the early Bible days, God would manifest certain judgments as an example to show forth clearly His plan or how people would go accordingly away from His plan. But we need to be very, very clear that the judgment of this world, that is, the reward that will be given to the wicked in these last days, the Bible says, is to come. So we need to be very clear, just because God does not respond immediately in a certain way, that does not mean that it's necessarily being done correctly. Now I want to go back to my story. In 1996, I was just a small boy. I was 9 or 10 years old. My parents... Uh, my dad was, of course, a Pentecostal minister at the time. We were all very active and very engaged in the Pentecostal ministry. And we believed with all of our heart at the time that we were doing all that was right and all that we knew to do at the time. Um, little did we know, at the same time in 1996, my aunt, which is my father's sister, my aunt, uh, her husband had been called to the Navy. He had joined the Navy services, and uh, he was stationed. He had, they had to move to the state of Maine. And so while they were in the state of Maine, again, you've got to also understand that my uncle and my aunt, uh, my father's sister, who moved, they were also, before they moved, they were uh, previously uh, oneness Pentecostal. And so when they had went up there, they had uh, full intentions to continue that oneness Pentecostal faith. Although, uh, something interesting happened when they received uh, in their mail one day this, uh, this brochure inviting them to a Bible prophecy seminar. They went to this Bible prophecy seminar, felt very convicted, very, very, very strongly convicted... And they pulled out of the Pentecostal church and became Seventh-day Adventist Christians because they saw everything was established in the Word of God, according to the Word of God. Now, word had quickly spread among my family that, oh, Gwen, my aunt, oh, she's just lost it. She's went and joined this Adventist cult, and, and she just thinks she's so right now, and now she's wanting to share her faith with us. And, and, and so every, it was kind of a, it had already made its way around my family that don't listen to Gwen. She has went, uh, she has went crazy, and she's went off on the deep end. Well, I remember uh, for one holiday, she, they got on a plane, and they flew back to Arkansas where we were. And uh, when she came back, she stayed a few weeks. But before leaving, I'll never forget, before leaving... She came to my, to my father, and uh, she had a VHS uh, tape in her hand. And for some of you who don't know what that is, that's this uh, rectangular oblong thing that has... Uh, okay. Anyways, she lays this VHS tape on top of, our, uh, on top of our television at the time. And, uh, and she says to my father, and this was in 1996, she says to my father, she says, please watch this tape. She goes, I know that you guys think that I'm crazy. 
She goes, I know that you think that I'm, I've went off on the deep end. She goes, but. She goes, at least give me the benefit of the doubt and watch this tape so that you understand where I'm coming from. Well, in the Pentecostal faith, it is clearly taught to us that you don't accept literature or videos or any type of doctrinal teaching from any other type of faith because they're all sinners and going to hell. So why would you want to receive the devil's, uh, uh, the devil's doctrine? And so my father, for many years, maybe not all, but for it was kind of programmed in his mind. And when she laid that tape up on our television, it just became clear. He had immediately made up his mind that, well, it was just going to sit there and collect dust. Because he knew he was in the right faith and she had went out of the faith. And so that was just how he saw it for a few days. However, a few days later, curiosity overcome him. And, uh, and we joke about this, of course, in saying that he made the, the grave mistake of putting that tape in to the VHS player, which it wasn't a mistake. It was a divine appointment from God. He put this VHS tape in, and I'll never forget, I came downstairs, and I, I, you know, I never saw my dad watch any type of stuff like this on the Bible. I mean, if anything, it was, you know, programs on these random, you know, Christian networks where they just kind of, you know, stood around and danced and sung, and, you know, that was the kind of programs that we watched, but very little stuff on the Bible. Uh, it just We didn't hear a lot of deep scripture in my home. It was just kind of little snippets here and there, enough to get us riled up, you know, to, to you know, you know to have, a, uh, have a Pentecostal hoedown and, and really go at it. But uh, very interesting enough, my dad put this tape and he begins watching it. I remember I came downstairs and I passed through the living room and I saw the look on my dad's face. And I was little, but I was observant. And I looked at my dad's face and I'd seen the look on his face I'd never seen before. And I looked back at the television screen and there was this guy on the television screen preaching. And I looked back at my dad and he was just, you know, really into this video. And I noticed that this, this gentleman by the name of Mark Finley just kept repeating an interesting word. Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath this, Sabbath that. It was a, it was a VHS presentation on the Sabbath. And so I remember after the video was over with, because I never would interrupt my father while he was doing something, I waited until the video was over with. I went to him and I said, uh, I said Dad, um, what is a Sabbath? And he tried at that time his best to explain to me what it was. Oh, it's a, you know, a Jewish you know, day of worship you know, in the Bible and blah, blah, blah. But you know, I could tell that he was so disturbed by what he saw. And then the days following him watching this video, I saw my dad do something that I'd never seen him do before. Study. I saw him. He had his Bible out. He had went to one of our local Bible bookstores. He had bought a strong, exhaustive concordance. And, and, and for hours and hours and hours and hours at a time, he began to study. And he began to try to you know, verify, is this, can this be true? Is it true that we have missed something as important as the general moral Ten Commandments that we still claim is binding today? How, did we miss the Sabbath? Have we missed the understanding of the general message of the Sabbath? So it began to make sense to him, although he still was studying and still struggling with a few things. My mom didn't want to grasp onto it at first, but eventually over a period of time, after her and my father studied it through, they began to clearly see, okay, if we missed the Sabbath, if we missed the importance of God's general commandments in the Sabbath, is there something else that we've missed? And I remember, 
it wasn't too long after uh, we received a knock on our, on our door one day, and this gentleman stands at the door, and he says, hello, he says, my name is so-and-so, and I'm the pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Now, Jonesboro, from where we currently lived in Manila, was about where the church was located, was approximately about 55 minutes to an hour away. And that blew me away because I thought, man, this, this pastor drove all the way from Jonesboro to come to our house. And then he commences to introduce himself. He said, I heard through your sister Gwen that, you know, you guys were studying. And I just wanted to offer my services to you guys if you wanted to do in-home Bible studies. I would love to come by and maybe have some weekly Bible studies with you guys. Well, it was the perfect right time because my dad was very open to that. And so they agreed to do weekly Bible studies. So I saw this pastor of this seventh-day church. That's what we called it then. The Seventh-day church. And, and, and he would come every single week and he would give my family Bible studies. And I couldn't quite as a child wrap my mind around this because pastors just don't do that. The, the faith that I was in, pastors don't come visit people. And they certainly don't come to have Bible study. If, if you wanted anything to do with God or Bible study or anything related, you come to church. And usually it's not going to turn out to be a Bible study. It's going to turn out to be some, you know, random manifestation of some spirit where everybody starts acting weird and crazy. That's as far as it went. And so that, that's just, you know, when I saw that this random seventh-day pastor kept coming to my house every week, it just, it just baffled me even as a kid. I thought, man, and I would watch, you know, from the other room. And now many times I would go in and I would sit down and I would listen. Didn't understand a thing they were saying, but I would be intrigued because if Dad was intrigued... I was intrigued. And so we would listen, and I would listen to their conversation, and they would have all these different studies on the Sabbath and, and how, you know, this true belief in regards to the second coming of Jesus. And, you know, hey, Randy, what happens to you when you die? Do you know? Well, here's what the Bible says. And we studied all these things. And even though I didn't fully comprehend it as a child, my dad began to learn, and, and he became very convinced that perhaps there was some truth in this, even though it kind of took him a while, because you got to believe here, you got to remember, he's the pastor of a Pentecostal church. It's not like he's just some random member. He's the pastor of the church. All right? Now, it wasn't too long. After a, few, after a few studies, after about three or four or five weeks went by, they were still doing weekly Bible studies. But the pastor comes over one day, the same seventh-day pastor, came, comes over to my house, and he brings this huge box of black VHS. It was a big, thick, cushiony you know, VHS tapes. I mean, a whole set of them, a huge box set of these VHS tapes. And there was probably, I don't know, probably, you know, 15, 16 different VHS tapes, and there was two sermons on each one. And uh, I remember my dad started watching these tapes. So as they would have a weekly Bible study, and then he would watch a tape. Weekly Bible study, he would watch a tape, and, and that's how they treated it. And I started coming in my living room, and I started seeing this other gentleman on my screen. And I thought, well, who's this guy now? And I noticed how guy, my dad would spend hours and hours and hours at a time watching these VHS tapes. And I would come in, and I would try to listen, you know. And I thought, well, if Dad's into it, I'll try to be into it. Didn't understand what they were saying, but I tried my best, you know, fixate my attention at 10, 11 years old on what was going on and, you know, kind of understood a little bit, but not enough. After so long, you know, my, this pastor began to try to probe my dad uh, to make a decision. And I, and I shouldn't use that word. He was, he was very compliant and very respectful in trying to see if my dad was in the right situation to make a decision to perhaps maybe make a transition from this particular church that wasn't teaching the truth 
to why don't you come and you know fellowship and be a part of a group of people who teach this truth? And and uh, my dad just uh, he still wasn't quite there yet because he still had this strong connection to you know obviously he was still the pastor of this Pentecostal church. So eventually, after this, after a long while, I'll never forget this was this went on for a period of about three years. Okay, in 1999, I'll never forget it. <laughs> 1999, uh, I was probably, I don't know, 12, 11 years old, 10 years old, something like that. 1999, my, the, the pastor of this Seventh-day Church, he came over again. And I'll never forget, he comes to my parents and he says, Hey, there's going to be a large net series. We call it a, we're going to call it the Net 99 series. It's a big network series that's going to go all over the world. And uh, there's, a, there's a very good speaker from within our church that's going to be presenting this. And we're going to be showing it via satellite live in our church. And so we want to invite you guys to come to this satellite viewing of this Net 99 series. And we really would like you guys to come out. And I'll never forget, my dad said, well, uh, well, well who is the speaker? Is, is it Kenneth Cox? Is it, is it Mark Finley? He said, no. He said, and he looks at me. He says, Ryan. And I was a little boy. And I'll never forget he been out. He said, Ryan, would you like to come hear a caveman speak? <laughs> and as a little kid, I was like, oh, man, yeah. All right. You get to hear a, a caveman speak. And, and uh, he was like, yeah. He's like, the guy that's going to be preaching used to be a caveman. And, and the Lord changed his heart. And now he preaches the gospel. And he tells a story. He's going to tell a story about how the Lord led him out of a cave and into the true church of God. And I was like, praise the Lord. And as a little kid, you know, they take me to these meetings. And I'm so excited. I'm just like, oh, man, you know, I'm going to get to see a caveman preach the gospel. And I'll never forget, it was entitled Millennium of Prophecy presented by Pastor Doug Batchelor, and this little ball headed guy came out on the stage. <laughs> I was so disappointed because I thought that I was going to hear a, you know, a caveman, you know, preach the gospel. And this little ball headed guy comes out and he says, Hello, I'm Doug Batchelor, impressive, amazing facts. And I was just like, What? And, but anyways, my family began to attend this series when they could. They attended quite a few of them. My dad took home all of the, uh, the study guides, and I remember him again pouring back through. Again, it, this took a period of a few years because my dad still had this connection to this Pentecostal church. Now, long story short, I'm going to get to the, to the transition part. My dad eventually becomes very convicted that... If he's going to continue to be the pastor of this church, then he must preach the faith that he believes in. So here we are in a Sunday-keeping church. Not to mention this is the church of God. So they believe very much of the futuristic interpretation of Bible prophecy. My dad has become very much aware that the futuristic interpretation of Bible prophecy is not the correct one, but more of a historical approach to Bible prophecy is more correct. And my dad becomes very convicted that many of these truths that he has been studying over the past few years, it is now time for him to start presenting them as a minister. And uh, so I remember the first Sunday he got up and he preached on the second coming of Jesus. You've got to understand something in the Pentecostal church that I went to at the time. They don't believe in the second coming like we do. 
They believe in the second coming like, you know, the Left Behind series. You know, they're, they're raptured away, they're caught up. Not the biblical version in which every eye will see him and all of these, you know, wonderful truths that we teach. Okay, they don't believe it. So my dad gets up and he preaches this message. And, and I remember hearing my parents, you know, chatter and talk about how, you know, this might do them in. This, this might cause the church to decide to give them the boot. But it's very interesting, after my dad taught that truth, even though there was a few people in the church, a few elders that were kind of, you know, not so happy about what he was teaching, especially he was trying to, he was taking away their famous seven-year tribulation, and they didn't like that. And so, uh, but, but all in all, they did not ask him to leave. And the reason why is, well, if they ask the pastor and the pastor's wife and the pastor's kids to leave, no one's going to play their music. They're not going to have a drummer, and they're not going to have a piano player, and they're not going to have a guitar player, and they're not going to have this great, great music that they've been receiving. And so th- they were able to just kind of look past, you know, shoo, let it go on by and not let it be a big deal. So my dad thought, okay, well, that one went well. So he comes back the next week and he preaches uh, on, the, uh, on the state of the dead. Okay, you got to understand something. <laughs> in, the, in the church of God, they don't believe in the state of the dead like we do. They believe as soon as you die, pew, you're in one or two places, okay? That's just it. And so my dad gets up and he delivers this very convincing, powerful sermon as he has been studying with Pastor Doug Batchelor and Pastor Kenneth Cox and Pastor Mark Finley and he has all the study guys and he, he gets up and delivers a powerful message. And of course, a few of the people in the room are just, you know, kind of like, mm, they didn't like what he was teaching and preaching. But again, the idea was, well, we'll just let this one whew, go on by because if we ask these people to leave, where are we going to get our good music from? The next week he comes back with the Sabbath. You know, we for sure thought that this would do them in. Because we're basically telling them, we got it wrong, folks. We need to be keeping uh, the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. We need to be worshiping God on the proper day of worship, the proper Sabbath day according to the Bible. And my dad delivers a very convincing, powerful message on it. And uh, it ruffled a few feathers and they didn't quite agree, but they did not ask him to leave. He comes back and he starts preaching more, more and more and more on the truth about hell. Again, in the Pentecostal church, when you take away a Pentecostal's version of hell away, you're taking away a a, a foundational pillar of their faith. Because every Pentecostal preacher loves to stand up and scream to the top of his lungs that if you don't get right with Jesus, you've got to go to hell. And so my dad is standing up teaching and preaching to him, look, there is a hell, it is real, it is a real place of burning, but it's not now. There's not people in heaven or hell, so therefore he preaches the Bible truth in regards to this. And, you know, a few people in the church with all of these teachings, there were actually a few humble people that were just like, wow, wow, they did never see that before. But a few of the elders in the church were like, "Mm," you know, very angry and very upset, but they did not ask him to leave. So my dad becomes convinced and he's, he's thinking, you know, I remember him having some very joyous conversations with my mother. <gasps> he said, Lisa, I think we're about to see a mighty revival here. These people are accepting the truth. They are, I mean, they have not asked me to leave and I'm teaching everything different from their doctrines. He says, we, we, might, have, we might have us a Sabbath-keeping church. We, we might turn these people into Bible-believing Christians. And, and I remember they became so happy. They're like, oh, praise the Lord. And, and then, I'll never forget, my dad heard, see, he went to, to the presentations of Pastor Doug one night. And see, there's something in the church that my dad and mom had questioned for years. Even though they kind of felt, then they leaned more toward the Pentecostal way, 
there's something that didn't seem right to them about this manifestation of speaking in tongues and the way the people you know, reacted when they quote-unquote received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to understand something about this. This is going come to come as a shock to you. My mom, being the pastor's wife, never spoke in tongues. Okay? My dad, the pastor of the church, never spoke in tongues. Now, he was many times... That Benny Hinn character, he's got his hand on the head, and he was many times that person going, you know, and really trying to, you know, get the Holy Spirit in there. And many times the people would respond with the, you know, all of this, you know, stuff, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. But again, there were many, many times I would see and hear my parents talking about how, you know, there's just something we're missing. Is there something we're not getting? And, and, and it was very interesting to me that when we were in our church, which had several, several members, I mean, big membership. When we were in our church, it seemed like everyone else just could turn it on and turn it off just like that according to what time of the service that it was and what was going on at the time. But I never actually saw my dad or my mom, you know, act in this way or speak with this particular language, which intrigued me even as a kid. But again, I was taught growing up, and if you know anything about the very strict form of Pentecostalism, you see, your salvation is speaking in tongues. You see, I was taught as a young kid that if you do not speak in tongues, that means you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the gift of the Spirit, according to this particular faith, the true gift of the Spirit is speaking in tongues. So if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you do not go to heaven. Period. So that's why many times I would find myself as a sincere little child, eight, nine, ten-year-old little boy, I would find myself down at the altar. We had altars. If there's anything you know about the Pentecostal church, you know, it's, very, it's the, 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 the sanctuary set up in a very specific way. Uh, set up in a very specific way at a particular point in the service, which is the main portion of the service. Uh, everyone is waiting for this particular part of the service where everyone is going to flock to the front of the room where there's this big wide open space and then there's these little long bench-like things that they call the altar. Okay. And everyone's going to come to the front and they're going to open themselves. What they're doing is they're, they're just responding in a way in which they're clearly opening themselves for the Holy Spirit to manifest Himself in such a way that they become baptized or, as they will say, renewed in the Holy Ghost. I saw this so often. Okay, now all of that said, my dad watches... The presentation by Pastor Doug in 1999 in his Millennium of Prophecy series, there's one that's entitled A Jar of Oil, in which he covers the, the importance and significance of the Holy Spirit. And there's a large portion in which Pastor Doug shows biblically this, you know, this gift of speaking in tongues, the true biblical way. When my parents studied the study and they saw the presentation, they become immediately convinced. It made sense to them. Wow, this is truth. And it was like, it was like, you know, it was like we had just won the lottery. They became so excited because this big weight had lifted off of them. They, they didn't quite fully understand it yet, but it made enough sense to know that they weren't broken because many times my parents thought that because they didn't do this, because they couldn't speak, that they were not true Christians or that they were not, you know, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit wasn't leading and guiding them, as did I many times as I would come as a kid to the front and I would cry and I would pray. And I believe it was my prayer that saved me. Amen. Because as a, as a child, I prayed this prayer, Lord, if this is real, then let me have it. 
Lord, if this speaking in tongues gift is from you and you want me to have it, please, I want the Holy Spirit. I want this gift of speaking in tongues. I would pray that as a child. It never happened. I would look to my left. I would look to my right. This brother and sister on my right doing all this, speaking in some babbling language that no one in the room can understand. This sister on my left, doing all this, doing all that, babbling in some language that no one in the room can understand. And I'm sitting there as a little child, very sincere, very, very, very serious, and I'm saying, Lord, please, I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. Please, Lord, give me this if this is really you, if this is really your gift. Please let me have it. I never received it. Now, At church, things would get a little wild, especially on Sunday nights. At church, I would see things going on that was accredited to the Holy Spirit. But as my family and myself would study the Bible oftentimes together after this new faith had come to us, we started to realize that that what we were seeing in the church on a weekly basis was not found in the Bible. And it didn't make sense to us that God would manifest Himself in a completely opposite, counterfeit way than He did in the Bible. And so it just didn't make sense to us. We didn't fully understand it, but we started to see the light on this issue slowly but surely. Now, Things would get a little wild at church. I would see things happen where people would take off running and sprinting uh, and nearly knock themselves out running with their eyes closed in the church saying that they were running in the spirit. I would see people frantically laughing, (laughs) just over and over, really, really loud. And then they would call this laughing in the spirit. Things like that. And then I would see people do all these convulsions and I'm not going to mimic, although I was in it long enough, I could do a very good job. Um, and then not to make fun or to be critical or judgmental, but that's simply what I saw. And there would be many times as we become, there were many times as a kid, I would go home and mimic it and do some of the stuff that I would see in church. Uh, and, and my parents would get on to me. They'd say, stop that. You know, but that's just what we did as a kid. We thought it was real. We thought it was, you know, we just, you know, we would, we would have church at home. And we would do all these little, you know, we had this one lady, she would literally, she would literally f- frantically convulse so much it looked like she was going to break her neck. And there would be many times I would get so nervous as a child because I would see this lady and many other people, what they would call in the Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit or receiving the Holy Spirit. They would go into these convulsions and they would frantically jerk and all this stuff. And I would would see these people literally fall, knock their head on the side of the pew and about nearly kill themselves. And literally they would lay there for the rest of the entire service, out cold. And as a kid, I would be that little kid in the pew. You know, wondering what in the world's going on here. And these people would come too after a little while. Well, I'm sure with a, a killing headache. And then they would get up in front of the church and say stuff like, Woo! Praise the Lord! The Holy Spirit was rough on me tonight. The dots begun to be connected very quickly for my family, so much that eventually my dad decided in the Pentecostal church, he's taught the Sabbath, he's taught the law, he's taught the seven coming, he's taught the state of the dead, he's even started to incorporate the sanctuary and many of the other things that he's been learning. Now has come the time where he needs to preach to these people the truth about speaking in tongues. (laughs) Now we, I'll never forget it, You can always tell when someone is not receiving your message. 
I have I've become very good at it. I can, I, I've done this enough where I, you, you get to meet people and you get to meet people in the church and you can always tell when someone's not receiving your message because on other nights where they're in complete agreement with you, they're very much you know, focused and, and you know, very much intact and, and with you and they may give you a head nod or a, or a head shake or an amen every once in a while, but when you start touching on something they disagree with, you'll start to see that. You might even see people who are very, very openly arrogant as to just shake their head in the background. Just, mm, no, mm, no, no. Because they're completely closed to what you're saying. Now, very interesting enough, that's exactly what was happening in the room. When he got up and he started teaching that the way that they were manifesting or receiving this gift of tongues and this, this being slain in the Spirit, as they would say, oh, being slain in the Holy Ghost. Well, the, my dad began to teach on this and preach what the Bible says. Now, we finally saw that when he ended his presentation, we finally saw the board members and the elders and the deacons and all the people in church, they got up and they quietly went into a room in the back. They came out a few minutes later and I saw from a distance, I saw the head elder go to my dad and he put his arm around my dad and he was shaking his head and he was going. They shook hands. My dad walked out. When we got home, we found out that my dad was no longer the pastor of that church. It was very interesting. We thought that it would have been the Sabbath. We thought that it might be the state of the dead. We thought that, oh, for sure, they aren't going to, when we take away their hellfire and flame and torturous you know, hellfire, that's going to do it in. We, we started preaching all these great, great topics, and, and whoa, the second coming is going to do it. No, it was when we got to the speaking in tongues and all of this, you know, this, this false manifestation of the Spirit, when we touched on that, when my dad preached on that, that was the deal breaker. Because you might take away our, our biblical or our non-biblical approach to, you know, Sabbath worship. You may take away our non-biblical approach to death. or You may take away our non-biblical understanding of hell and, and the second coming and the tribulation and all these things. But brother, when you go to a Pentecostal Christian and you start taking away their speaking in tongues and their manifestation of the Holy Spirit, now that is a whole nother thing. And so all my dad simply asked the church was, if I'm wrong and I'm not preaching according to the Bible, then please show me. And I very much respected my father for this because he very much knew that it was a great chance that he was going to lose his job. But he felt convicted that he needed to preach the truth. God. Now, they eventually asked him to leave. <laughs> and um, I was still young. I was, uh, I was a young teenager at the time. This upset my parents so much that over a period of time, I'm not going to get into the details as to why they did not attend an Adventist church. There's, there's specific reasons as to why they just chose not to become members of the Adventist church. I'm going to leave that between them and the Lord. But my parents became very discouraged, and they left the church for a few years. Now, me, I was just kind of in limbo. I didn't know what to do. You know, my parents aren't taking me to church anymore, so what should I do? Well, my next-door neighbor was a oneness Pentecostal. And she came over one day. Hey, can Ryan go to church with us? And, of course, my dad and them, they just kind of said, oh, whatever, if you want to go, you can go. If you don't want to, you don't have to. And even though I went in the beginning for the wrong reasons, I, I was basically going because there was lots of girls there, and, and, I, and I wanted to be there. And, and uh, so I decided, yeah, I'll, I'll go back. Well, little did I know, I, I very quickly become grafted back into this Pentecostal movement. 
Even though I didn't fully understand the whole speaking in tongues and all this, I become grafted back in. Because as soon as the church found out that I could sing and play the drums, that was it. You're our new drummer. They put me on the worship team. I started singing, started banging on the drums, and boy, it, they loved it. And I was a pretty talented drummer. That's what I'd done. That was my gift. That was my, that was my instrument of choice. My mom played the piano. My dad played anything with strings. The only thing missing from our family band was the drums. And so that was my gift uh, or my, my uh, instrument of choice. So very quickly, for, very, for a few years, I started attending this Pentecostal church. And again, the same sensations and feelings and thoughts that came to me before when I once was in it often came back because I started seeing things that I questioned. I thought, well, Lord, if this is real, then show, show me that it's real. If this is literally from you, because it was very interesting to me that I would see brothers and sisters. Now, this is where it became very clear to me. I started seeing brothers and sisters that would come to church and they would speak in tongues. And boy, they would, I mean, they would have all this stuff that they called, you know, the Holy Spirit happening to them. And these same people I would see at the weekly basketball games and these brothers and sisters would come out of the church cursing and swearing and everything under the sun. And I remember thinking to myself, wait a second, um, I didn't think Christians do that. Brother right there was just speaking in tongues last Sunday. And he's saying every curse word under the sun. Things, you know, things become very confusing for me. Well, it, it, it really became confusing for me when they asked me to attend camp meeting. <laughs> now see, regular church service is one thing. But when you go to a con concentrated Pentecostal camp with all of the people that take it very serious, whole nother level. Whole nother level. Now, I'm going to show you a video clip, and, 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 and I'm going to turn the, the, the... Brother, you can either turn the volume down, or I can, it doesn't matter. But I just want you to kind of see, these are some of the things that I saw at church, and especially at the camp meeting. Now, this video that I'm showing is an example, okay? This isn't exactly my church or the type of church that I attended, but very much very similar to the stuff that I would see. And um, so... So we would go to these youth camps and these church camps. And the preachers would preach real loud and blah, blah. And then eventually, again, the altar calls. And then when you see stuff like this, where people would wave their hands and fire. And people would fall out. And there was all of these, you know, la, 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 la. And there's all this stuff that was going on. And, and, and I'm out there in the middle of this stuff. Now, I want you to kind of just listen to the music. It's very hypnotic, very vainly repetitious and repeating. Then you hear the drums. Boom, that was me. I was there. Boom, 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 boom. As you make a decision to abide in his presence, he will make his glory or his goodness pass before your eyes. And then I would see some of this. Now, very interesting. I'll pause that there. Very interesting. And uh, first of all, I want to make mention here that this brother here in the video, I'm not going to mention his name. You don't need to know that. 
But I became familiar with this, this particular gentleman's uh, ministry. He's, he is a charismatic Pentecostal. He believes in the whole false manifestation of speaking in tongues and all this stuff, as you can see clearly on the screen there. And it's very interesting to know that this brother would claim to have the true gift of tongues. He would, say, he would tell you, the Lord has given me the gift of tongues. Now, when I watched this video, and I saw lots of stuff like this, because at many of these camp meetings, obviously there would be language barriers. So what would they have? They would have people over there, just as you see in here, someone repeating back the language. And after a while, I got to thinking, you know, kind of like this brother right here. Well, if this brother has the true gift of speaking in tongues, why does he need that other brother interpreting for him? These are some of the questions I ask. Because when, as we're going to read in the Bible in just a few minutes, you're going to see in the Bible, in all three instances where someone received the gift of tongues, there was no interpreter. There was no need for an interpreter. Because the Bible says that when God gives the true gift of tongues, it's immediately understood among His people. Because that's the main purpose of which He's giving the gift of tongues, for the purpose of communicating the gospel to someone who speaks another language. So we're going to see that in just a few moments. These are some of the things I saw. Now, again, on a weekly basis, my, my family would often find it entertaining to watch uh, Brother Benny Hinn. One, two, three. And again, I would watch this stuff, and I had family members who tuned in every week. I had family members that attended this brother's uh, stuff. They would go and they would watch and they would, and they would flock to the front and he would wave his hands and he would fire, fire. And these people just fall out. Now, this is just an example of, 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 uh, of being him. Now, this next video... <laughs> This is what I saw in my church and, and at the camp meetings on a weekly basis. Transition. You are coming out of the wilderness of transition and you are coming into a place of takeover and possession of the inheritance that God has for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward this Jesus, to the very end. I, I want you to listen to this brother speaking tonight. in this tongue. Okay? And I say be a new level of breakthrough in your life tonight. A whole new level of breakthrough in your life right, listen tonight. Listen to this. Okay, so you could see this as a kind of a repetitive, and this brother right here will tell you, I just spoke in God's language. That's a message from God. Well, if it's a message from God, why isn't someone interpreting it? Another thing, if that's a true gift of tongues, why don't we understand it immediately coming out of your mouth? That's another thing I always ask when I was in, as I got older, I started realizing, wait a second. If God wants to deliver a message to this all English speaking crowd, then why doesn't he deliver it in English the first time? Because, you know, traditionally in the Pentecostal church, as it was clearly practiced, some brother or sister would stand up and they would do some repetitive mantra like, and then moments later, some other brother and sister would stand up and go, Thus saith the Lord. And they would give this long English message. And it's very interesting. I started picking up on certain things. For instance, there was this pastor that I, when I attended the First United Pentecostal Church. Brother, I still love him today. He's a wonderful guy. We still, when we see each other, we still all talk and we still, you know, we're still good friends. But we're in complete disagreement about this uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Because I remember for years as he was my pastor, I noticed every week his tongue was the same. 
I still remember it to this day. He would be up preaching, praise the Lord, and if you don't come to Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And he would preach, and every other line was, and he would repeat the same. Everyone in the room, including me, is saying, what in the world did he just say? I started, I started picking up on the fact that his tongue was the same every week. But some brother and sister, not all the time, would interpret. But every once in a while, someone would feel very dignified and, and, and thoughtful to stand up and give a, Thus saith the Lord. And they would do. But it's very interesting. The tongue was the same every week, but the message was different every week. As a, teenage, as a young teenage boy, and I, have to, I can't give myself credit, my friends, because the Lord was really leading and guiding me. Because there were many times, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I, I, I can only give my experience... And praise God that I had this experience because I can only give my experience. And I'm going to show a video in just a few moments of Brother Dwayne Lemon. If any of you ever know Dwayne Lemon, he, he went to one of these churches you know, years ago before he was an Adventist and he received what you just saw Benny Hinn doing, the people falling out. He experienced that, okay? I didn't, but this is real. The stuff that you see in the young people in the video that we just saw a few minutes ago crying out, there's no doubt in my mind that those young people were sincere. I'm not questioning, I'm not saying that those young people were faking it. And I'm not saying that these people are just falling back and faking it. No, no, no. There's something real going on there. The question is, is it the real spirit of God or is it the real spirit of the devil? It can only be one of the two. It can't be both and it, can't be, it has to be one or the other. So if it's the real spirit of God, the Bible teaches us to put it. And remember, he said, test the spirits whether they are of God. First John tells us very clearly, test the spirits whether they are of God. Well, how do we test the spirit of whether it's of God? Right here. So, when I went on my journey of really searching this, I thought to myself, okay, well, if this is real, then I'll be able to find instances in the Bible where we see this same practice or the same manifestation of the Spirit. But if not, what am I to do? I'll never forget. My decision came very clear one night. I was on the drums. And see, I kind of had a, a, a kind of a front row seat to a lot of this stuff. Because I was up on the stage playing the drums. So all of this stuff that would manifest itself, you know, uh, right, you know, down near the altar area, I was just a few feet from it, you know, banging away at the drums. And by the way, I want to be very clear on something. You say, you say music does not have an effect on the human mind or the effect on our spirituality. It's something, I also noticed a common theme in these services. When the music wasn't banging and the drums weren't clanging, it seemed like everyone was in their right mind. I mean, you, you would have a, an occasional charismatic, Amen! Praise the Lord! I mean, that's just normal. Yeah, that's expected. But I noticed at, at the end of every Pentecostal service, it is expected. As soon as the pastor reaches the point where he's getting ready to deliver his final appeal, before he reaches that final appeal, he's going to call for the musicians to come to the instruments. Well, guess who that was? Me. I was the drummer. So as soon as he would call, brother, sister, so-and-so, brother, day, come to the, come to the, so we would come up, you know, it's just what I'd done, it was my job, been doing it all my life, here we go, get on the drums, and I noticed that when I go banging, on, first of all, sometimes it wouldn't always start out as loud, it might start out kind of soft, you know, something, you know, no, 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 that's just, you know, then you start seeing the people come forward, and they come, soft music playing in the background. I'm just barely. Boom, 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 boom. 
boop, boop, boom, boop, 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 and they're just, you know, they're standing out there. And I started noticing when the tempo would pick up. As soon as the tempo would pick up and I would start playing the drums louder, everybody started losing their mind. I started watching this and I started realizing a common theme, a common theme. Uh, if we could go down just a little bit with this, I don't want to ring, uh, ring in people's ears. Anyways, so I, I started noticing this. One night I'm playing the drums and I'm up there banging away at them. And everybody out there is, and there's people running and there's people doing you know, all kinds of things. One of my friends had come to church that night. It was a female. She was actually my next door neighbor. She came up to the front and um, she had come up to the front because, see, they have a very, very charismatic, manipulative way to get you to come to the front. <laughs> that's, that's their whole point. They don't want you out there listening to the gospel because that's not, that's not salvation. Salvation is coming to the front, letting go, priming the spiritual pump, as they'll say, and then letting the tongue go and speaking in some language. That's salvation to them. That's what we were taught. And so they had manipulated my friend into believing that she better come to the front or she may not be saved. And so I saw her come to the front. You know, you could see the anxiety. You can see the fear. You could see the, the, the reservation in her body language and in her face. And she came to the front. And then I watched as the pastor's wife and another dignified lady of the church grab both of her arms like in a crucifix stance. And they had those arms locked down, okay? She wasn't going nowhere. And I watched as the pastor, as he would normally do, he would go up and put his hands on people, and as he would put his hands on people, or as he would, you know, shake their head, because often he would, he would grab the head and he would shake and shake and shake, because he's trying to somehow, you know, maybe loosen up a few screws or something to make you pass out, and call that the Holy Spirit. It would happen quite often. In fact, I say that, you know, praise the Lord, my experience was a little different than Dwayne Lemons and many others, because there was many times I went up there fully prepared to receive this Holy Spirit. And I would lift my hands, and the pastor would come up, and he would place his, his, uh, his, head, his hand upon me. And I remember I had prayed beforehand, Lord, if this is you, give it. And, that, and see, the pastors didn't spend a long time with me. See, they, they figured out who the, uh, who, the, who the ripe ones were and who the ripe weather ones weren't. Because he figured out, you know, after about a minute of on my head, I wasn't doing anything. I would just stand there. And I wasn't doing anything. So he would just move on to someone else who would. I watched them take my friend, and he came up to my friend. He put, his, of course, his hand on her head, and he always had the microphone like this right here. So as he was praying for them, he would get right in the microphone where everybody can hear him. And I watched this brother, and I'm just a few feet on the drums, playing the drums. I watched him as he places his hand under her chin, and he begins to say, that's it, Brittany. See, she was just crying. She, I mean, so emotional. It's a very emotional situation. She's crying, <laughs> and, and he's got his, his hand under her chin, and she starts doing this little thing right here. And he's saying, that's it, Brittany, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Praise the Lord. And everybody took their seats after the service was over with. And the pastor gets up and he says, praise the Lord. Sister Brittany received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she received the gift of tongues. And the whole church went, "Woo!" And I'm sitting back there on the drums and I'm thinking to myself, this ain't right. I watched what that brother did. She didn't speak in no language. He was doing this. And he tells the whole church, 
that she now has the gift of tongues and has been renewed in the Holy Spirit. Now, when, she, when that happened, I knew right then and there, it was like the real Holy Spirit just clothed me and embraced me at that moment and said, you need to leave, get out, and don't come back. And I never did. I didn't quite understand it. I did not quite understand it. I did not fully understand what was going on. But I knew, Lord, this ain't right, and I want to know more. So that's when the Lord led me to the Bible to do an in-depth research. You see, tongues in the Bible... Literally translated in the Hebrew, or in, in the Greek, excuse me, is, it's the Greek word grasa, which simply means language. When you're talking about speaking in tongues, you're talking about speaking in a language. The question is, what kind of language? I want to look at the Bible really, really quickly. Now I want you to notice this first. When, before Jesus leaves this planet, he clearly says, Go ye therefore into all nations, teaching Oh, excuse me, go there, therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Now that's going to pose a problem. You see, Jesus is telling his Hebrew-speaking apostles to go into other nations and to preach the gospel to these other people from other nations. Well, that's going to create a little bit of problem because not all these people are going to speak Hebrew. And these Hebrew-speaking apostles... Primarily, that's all they speak. Maybe one or two other languages, but the, lang- the, the countries that they're going to go into to preach the gospel, they're not going to know that language. So they're, they're, it just begs the question, Lord, how in the world are we going to be able to communicate this, the gospel to these people because they don't speak our language? That's why we find in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus says, they shall speak with what? New tongues, that is new languages. This is not new tongues in the sense of, oh, you're, I'm going to give you some you know, heavenly spiritual language. No, 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 no. You see, if you go to the Bible very clearly, there's only three scriptures in all the Bible where someone received the gift of tongues. Only three. All three of these scriptures are found in the book of Acts, which you'll find you know, in, the, in the Pentecostal faith, they spend a lot of time in the book of Acts. Okay. As I begin to go back and study this, I begin to realize, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to show you this really quickly. And then we're going to move on, and then I'm going to lay my foundation and close this message. Because I think it's very, very self-explanatory when you get into the Bible. Acts chapter 2. This is the first instance in all the Bible where someone receives the Holy Spirit and begins to speak in tongues. Okay? I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And I'm going to read the opening few verses. It's going to clearly show us the very nature and and, and very truth behind this gift of tongues. It says there in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, notice, all with one accord in one place. So they're in the upper room as they were commanded by Jesus to go wait and tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So they come. Now they're waiting. They're tarrying. Now it says in verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues. Cloven tongues just means divided tongues in the sense that they are now speaking different languages. They're, They're speaking a separate language other than the one that they were born or other than the one that they usually speak. So they were given notice, divided or cloven tongues like as of fire. And this is where the Pentecostals get this idea that, oh, it was like fire. Well, and they literally manifest this in such a way as if they're on fire. Because if you're on fire, what are you going to do? You're going to try to stomp that fire out. 
Well, they're not trying to stomp the fire out. They're on fire of the Holy Spirit. So that's why they, they claim, oh, the, the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's why you'll see Benny Hinn go, fire, fire. And he'll wave his hand and people will just fall out. And it's, 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 you don't see this in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Okay? Now notice this, verse 3. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with, notice, other what? Tongues, that is, other languages. And the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice, the Spirit gave them utterance, that is, to speak these other languages. Verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews... Devout men out of every nation under heaven. So do we have a lot of different languages coming into Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? Yes, we do. Notice they were all Jews of the faith, but they had been scattered abroad. They were in other nations. And so now God is bringing them back to Pentecost because it was one of the, very, one of the many uh, um, festivals, the Jewish festivals, that had to be uh, kept or, or uh, um, uh, celebrated in Jerusalem. So all these people from all over these different nations would flock to Jerusalem on this day to celebrate Pentecost. And so what better time to preach the good news to a people who are going to go back to their nation. Amen. Now notice this, verse 6. Now when the noise abroad, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. In fact, it goes on to say there, and they were all amazed, marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these that speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we are born? My friends, when these people began speaking in tongues in these different languages, was it understood immediately? Yes, it was. Where's the interpreter? There's no need for an interpreter. Because when God gives the true gift of tongues, it's understood immediately. That's why it always baffles me that we're in an all-English-speaking church and some brother or sister stands up and starts all this stuff off and it's just like, what in the world did they just say? And, and it, it, that is not the true gift of speaking in tongues. That is a false manifestation. That is the counterfeit of the real. Don't, isn't the devil a counterfeiter? Notice we have a true Sabbath day, seventh day. The devil comes along and he creates a counterfeit. He presents us with the Sunday Sabbath or a new Sunday resurrection Sabbath. That's not the Bible Sabbath. The, the, the devil is a counterfeiter. So when God gives the true gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost, the devil is already devising in his mind this new counterfeit version of speaking in tongues. And my friends, I'm just telling you, either we're going to be Bible Christians or we're not. Either we're going to understand what the Bible says or we're not. I'm going to take you quickly to, to the second scripture of the Bible where we see this. And that is in, oh, actually, actually, I don't think I, I really need to take you there because it's very, very selfly explained. When you go to Acts chapter 10 there, you will see that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion. Him and his family are not Jewish, but they are given the gift of tongues, and the Bible says there, to prophesy or to manifest or to bring praises to God. And I'm just going to read it really quickly from that one verse, Acts chapter 10 there. And we're going to read it from verse, it's toward the end there. So we're going to, oh, here it is, verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues, that is languages, and magnify God. And then answered then answer Peter. Peter starts talking there. So notice, how did they know if they were magnifying God if they couldn't understand them? Was this tongue language that they were given easy to be understood? 
Absolutely. It's the same tongues that they were given on the day of Pentecost. In fact, if you notice Acts chapter 11, verse 15, notice what Peter's response was because Peter was there when Cornelius received the gift of tongues. Notice what he says here. As, as, it began to, as he began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. So was there an interpreter in Acts chapter 2? No, there wasn't. Was there a need for an interpreter in Acts chapter 10? Absolutely not. Now, there's only one other example we have in the Bible where someone speaks in tongues, and that is found in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And it's very interesting when you go to the third and final scripture in Acts chapter 19. I want to also read to you there verse 5 and 6. And they heard this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues. And notice there it says, and prophesied. Well, how would they know if they prophesied if... They did not understand them. There was understanding because the true gift of tongues is something easily to be understood when the God gives that true gift. Now, here's the thing. I want you to notice something here. You'll find that the only times the gift of tongues was associated with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is when people from more than one language group were gathered together, thus, and it should be uh, uh, knocking down or, or, or casting away uh, communication barriers. And so the truth of the matter is, my friends, every single time God gives the gift of tongues in the Bible, there's multiple language groups present. Now think about this for a second. Every single one of us in here understand or or hear very clearly English. Why would there be some need for someone to stand up and start speaking in some random syllables that no one understands? Only for some other brother and sister moments later to say, thus saith the Lord and repeat it back in English. Makes no sense. These are the things that I begin to study and I begin to understand. And, uh, and I'm telling you this for, an, for, for a right reason, my friends, because uh, this particular manifestation, this false manifestation of tongues, it's in the Adventist church. You say, no way, I've never heard this before. The times are coming, my friends. The times are coming. I'm already seeing this among some of our leadership within the church. Speaking in these Babylon and not interpreting, no one understands, and it, it just makes me wonder what in the world's going on. Someone needs to address this issue. I've heard of instances where Adventist Christians will be in the presence of someone, maybe giving a Bible study, not giving a Bible study, praying, and then some other brother and sisters blurts out in these random syllables that no man or no human being can understand, and we just kind of sit quiet, like, well, because we're caught off guard. What should we do? I can tell you what we should do. I had this same situation happen to me in Lafayette, Louisiana, right in the middle of a presentation, speaking on the judgment of God. Some brother stands up in the third pew right in the middle of my presentation and starts speaking in these syllables that no one can understand. So what am I to do? Give the devil his time? Immediately, just a few seconds after he started speaking, the Holy Spirit told me right here, he said, pray. And pray out loud. So I stood right there behind this presentation, room full of people just like this one, and I said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, get rid of this this evil spirit. There's an evil spirit right here. We don't need this, Lord. We need the true Holy Spirit among us, and we need to understand the truth on this subject. So could you please work a miracle? Immediately when I prayed that prayer, that brother shut up and sit down. My friends, if you're in a situation like this and someone's out there, you know, you know speaking all this, all this stuff, and you don't understand it, guess what? It's not the real Spirit of God. It's a counterfeit Spirit of God. And the reason why we know that is because it's not clearly communicated to us in the Bible in that way. And the Bible says if they speak not according to this, it's because there is no light in them. 
Now, where a lot of confusion comes is 1 Corinthians 14. I want to highlight a few scriptures, and then we're going to get out of here. Notice what, notice what Paul says on this. Now, a lot of people go to 1 Corinthians 14 to prove their case for speaking in tongues. And in fact, you'll hear a lot of people call it their heavenly uh, prayer language or their heavenly language of some sort. Because they'll tell you this is a heavenly language. Uh, you know, and when you bring it to their attention, hey, what are you just... Oh, that's that, that's that heavenly language. And they get this from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul says, though I speak with tongues of men and angels. Okay? It's very interesting there when you read that chapter, when you go to 1 Corinthians and you read that chapter there, he says, though I speak with tongues of men and angels. Did Paul say that he spoke with tongues of angels? No, no, no. If you read the translation or the, the original there, it's not, it's not, he wasn't saying I do speak with tongues of angels. He says, even if I could. If you notice there, he says, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries... Did Paul understand all mysteries? No, he didn't. He was a man. He was very much a guided man by the Holy Spirit, but he did not understand all mysteries. Notice what he says. Understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Did Paul have all knowledge? No, he did not. He goes on to say, And though I have all faith... Did Paul have all faith? No, he did not. He says, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And then he goes on to say, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. Did Paul give his body to be burned? No, Paul was beheaded. Okay? So Paul is clearly, what he's doing is he's he's setting a clear example here. He's saying, he says, charity suffers long and is kind. And he goes into all this, but he says, And though I bestow all my goods to the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profits me nothing. So what he's saying is, even if I could speak in some, you you know, angelic language, he says, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Paul did not say he could speak in a heavenly language. He said, even if I could so then people go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and they, they bring a case for this. They say, oh, you know what, I, I have the gift of tongues because right here Paul says that when I speak in an unknown tongue, it does not profit, it does not edify anyone. It's only a, a, a message between me and God. Notice, notice it there in the opening verses of 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 2, he says, for the, uh, notice, he says, for he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaketh not to men, but to God. And notice it says, for no man understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. And people say, there you go, Ryan. When I speak in this heavenly language, I'm just, it's just me and God. No one else understands, and so I just go to my prayer closet, and you know, just me and the Lord have a nice conversation in tongues, and that's not biblical. In fact, I want to draw something to your attention. If you look in 1 Corinthians 14 there, notice that word unknown there. It's italicized. That means it's not in the original. Paul never once in the original Greek mentions an unknown tongue. Can I tell you why? Because God never gives an unknown tongue. Never once in the Bible is an unknown tongue manifested. And there's whole songs. I remember being in the Pentecostal church. My aunt, very spiritualistic, very Pentecostal. She would sing songs like, I'm all wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in Jesus. I'm all wrapped up, tied up. Tangled all up in God, and at the end she would go speaking in unknown tongues, and the people would go wild. Woo! Paul, you know that that word unknown there, it was added by the translators because that was what they felt Paul was implying. 
But what Paul was clearly implying there is he was saying to the Corinthian church who was, again, practicing this falsely in the wrong way, they had all these brothers and sisters coming in the Corinthian church. One brother speaking in Arabic. One brother speaking in Aramaic. Another brother speaking in Hebrew. Another brother... And all of these, all these languages going at once. And there would be several people from different language groups present it would cause confusion. And while this brother's speaking in this language and this brother over here don't understand that language, guess what? It's unknown to them. Let me give you a clear example. Uh, you, you, sp- you, speak, uh, uh, you speak Spanish. Okay, say something in Spanish. I happen to know what that one means. Say something I don't know. She said, buenas noches. I ain't got a clue what she just said. Guess what? That's unknown to me. If she is trying to communicate the gospel to me in that language, I don't understand it. It's unknown. So what Paul is saying is, if you're going to get up and you're going to speak to a people who don't understand Spanish, and you're trying to preach to them the gospel in Spanish, guess what? You are speaking in a tongue that is unknown. You're speaking in a language that cannot be easily understood. So therefore, he tells in the chapter, make sure you have someone to interpret where that person can understand. That's what was going on. Now, what's interesting, let me, let me tie this up here. Look here, look here, look here. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? You know, if I had you to close your eyes right now, and I said, I'm going to play for you my flute. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Come on, be honest. I'm going to play for you my flute. Are you ready? Here we go. All right, open your eyes. Did you like my flute? What did it sound like? Sound like a trumpet, right? You know, that was distinctive. That was a distinctive sound. You can hear that and go, hey, that sounded a little bit more like a, you know, very high-pitched trumpet. Uh, but it certainly was not a flute. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, if you're going to stand up in the church, you're going to speak something that's not easily understood. There needs to be a distinction, a distinction in the language. They need to be able to understand, and you're not doing that. That's why he goes on to say, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue, notice, words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. And boy, how many times did I see some brother and sister speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. Notice the context. Is he talking about unknown languages? He's talking about known languages from within the world, right? He says, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a what? foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, he says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church, he says, that you seek to excel. He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, he says... I would rather speak five words with my understanding than, and teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. He says, wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. How many believers do we have in this room today? All right. There may be someone here that does not believe, but here's the thing I can promise you. If you do not believe, I don't need to send some, if you don't understand the Spanish language, I don't need to send someone that only understands Spanish and is going to speak Spanish to t- teach you the gospel because it's not going to be fruitful. You're not going to understand it. 
But if you're an English-speaking brother and you don't believe, guess what? You need to hear the English gospel. Amen? The Lord's going to deliver that message in English. My friends, what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? It was taught to me growing up. Well, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. You know, it's very interesting. The Bible says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. Now let me give you a clear illustration. If I tell you to go out here and take a look at my orange tree, and we walk out here to this tree, and there's not a single orange on this tree, you're going to be quickly convinced that that's not an orange tree. Because there's only one way of knowing clearly in the end the one evidence that it's going to give forth that that's an orange tree is when we see oranges on it. It's going to bring forth the fruit of an orange. Amen? Amen. Same thing with a Christian. If you're a Christian here today and you want others to know that you're truly a Christian being led by the Holy Spirit, you will bear spiritual fruit. You will bear the fruits of the Spirit. Amen. Not some speaking in tongues. You see, a lot of people, they flip, the, they flip it upside down. You look at those lists of the gifts of the Spirit in First Corinthians chapter 12, tongues is at the bottom of the list. Not that it's any more important or any less of an importance, but it's at the bottom of the list. In fact, Paul says in the opening verse of First Corinthians chapter 14, he says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Paul puts prophecy at the top of the list. Church, people that truly love Jesus. And I pray for them. And I love them, and I know that there's no doubt in my mind that in the last days, when the Holy Spirit is truly poured out in such a way as it was back in the day of Pentecost, except on a larger scale, there's going to come people that are going to see the light, and they're going to respond because they truly love Jesus. Are there anybody here that loves Jesus tonight? If that's you, stand with me as we close. My friends, this is the last time that we'll see each other for a couple of months at least. I'm headed up to Canada where we have back-to-back meetings in British Columbia. And, uh, and we're so excited to go there. And then we'll swing back through at the beginning of June and uh, hopefully see you guys again. A quick visit. It's been a blessing. It's been an honor to be here. I hope that you've learned something. I hope that we can take something from this seminar and bring glory to God and forego the wonderful gospel of the kingdom of God. Amen? I want to say thank you to all the people again who have worked very hard to put this seminar on and make it function properly. The, 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 the food crew, uh, all the people who work so hard in the kitchen, I, I don't know exactly where you are, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much. The people who have worked so hard with registration, the deacons, the people who have been here every single day to clean up and to keep things organized, and, and, and the, the, the music crew, praise the Lord for you guys who have been so uh, helpful for us in the, in the music area and making this so, sound so much better, and also the, 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 uh, the crew that is, uh, that is helping us as they're roaming the campus. You've probably seen a few of the guys roaming the campus. They're just here to, you know, pr- to protect us and to keep an eye out to make sure that everything is okay and that if people need assistance or help, that's what they're there for. So I appreciate you guys who have been a, a careful watch and lookout for us. I also want to thank the pastoral staff. Pastor Daniel, thank you so much, brother. Pastor Hicks, thank you guys so much for taking the time 
uh, to bring us out. Um, I've been told that I'm long-winded. I agree. And uh, I probably need to shorten my sermons. And I'm praying about that. So please help me to, to do a better job. But I hope I have not wore out the saints tonight. I hope that we've learned something. And I hope to see you, if not soon, in the caves. Sure enough, in the clouds of heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, my friends. Pastor Ryan, before you go, please stand for a minute. Would you all just be seated for just a couple minutes, please? I think we're going to have Stephanie come forward now, too, as well. We want to say and give you our special appreciation for what you've done for us here. She's coming now. And by the way, I have to say really quickly, I don't do what I do, and I can't be successful at what I'm doing without my wife. Amen. She, is, she is my backbone. She is my right arm. She, she is my support in many areas, and I want to thank the Lord for what God has given me. She helps Amen. me so much and helps us in the ministry. I appreciate that. Amen. And Stephanie, we want to show you a token of our appreciation for all your Amen. work for us here and your support for your husband. Thank you. And Pastor Day and for Stephanie, I want to give you a certificate of appreciation for oh, what you've done for us. Thank you so much. And I want to read this to you all. The members of the Hillcrest Seventh-day Adventist Church earnestly express our deepest appreciation and gratitude to Pastor Ryan and Stephanie Day for your tireless efforts and dedication in sharing with us your God-given talents mm. while presenting the evangelistic series entitled Amazing Revelations and Prophecy. You made a tremendous impact upon us all. May God continue to richly bless you as he opens new windows of opportunity for you to serve him. Brother. Amen. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Thank God you. bless you, my friends. I want to give you a final blessing, and then we'll let you go for the night. And you can greet Ryan and Stephanie out. Father, we thank you for the wonderful ministry that the days have provided for us. And again, Lord, we pray that you will take these dear, this dear couple, whatever ver journey and voyage you have them on now, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit to protect them. Encircle them with your cords of loving kindness. And, Father, these are just a wonderful ministry team. Again, we thank you so much for bringing them our way, and we have truly been blessed by them. And, Lord, I pray for every tender heart here, those who have heard the messages that Pastor Day has related to us. Father, if there is anyone else here that is so moved by your Spirit that they want to make a full profession of faith, in you, to become a member of this church, we pray, Lord, that you make that very clear to them. Father, I commit all these dear ones into your care, and I ask these things in the name of him who was, is, and is to come. Amen and amen. God bless you, dear ones. Thank you for coming. Have a good night.